Hello, everybody. Welcome to Success Defined. I'm Ben McDonald, and today we are joined by Marcus Whitney. Marcus is a co-owner of a pro soccer club. He's a health innovator and investor. He's a TED Talk speaker, and he's currently the founder and or partner in five different ventures right now alone. So we're going to have a lot of value to be able to throw your way. Marcus, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ben. Appreciate it. So I want to go back to 2000 and, and dig into your origin story. So first, what brought you to Nashville, Tennessee? Yeah, dumb luck. Uh, I, <laughs> I, uh, I never thought uh, when I was growing up I would live in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my parents were both from the South, and I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, but my, my parents' families were, were both from the South. Um, my dad from New Bern, North Carolina, and my mom, even though she grew up in Brooklyn, uh, her entire family was originally from a small town outside of Richmond, uh, called Goochland, Virginia. And so, um, you know, I spent all my summers down in the South uh, as I was growing up. Um, that, that led to me going to uh, school in Virginia, University of Virginia. Um, and then sort of after, after that experience, when I went back to New York, it just wasn't, um, I, I knew I wanted to live in the South after that as an adult. And so uh, the first stop was Atlanta. It was sort of like, you know, the the intersection of big city life and also living squarely in the South. Um, that's where I met my my ex-wife. We started a family. And then uh, after about, you know, a year of living in Atlanta, uh, we just came to the decision that that wasn't where we wanted to uh, raise the kids. And she spent her high school years in, uh, in Nashville. Her best friend was in Nashville. And so um, she was like, well, you know, we could go to Nashville. And, you know, I loved it. I've got really good friends there. And so we were young enough. I was 23, 24 at the time. So we were young enough. We just jumped in the car, packed up what we had and moved. Um, so, you know, it was just sort of that, that ability to move when you're young uh, and you're not like sort of, you know, tied down to things. So you don't have a really strong network. It just so landed that I, it just so happened that I landed in, in Nashville, which has turned out to be an incredible, uh, incredible place to live for the last 19 years. Yeah, it, it's amazing how that happens. So, so kind of same type thing. We were, wife and I were early to mid 20s. I just sold a business. We were in upstate New York. It's like, well, we want to live somewhere in the South and, and headed down and figured out, let's see if we like Charlotte. So it's, it's pretty cool how that happens. Absolutely. So, so you, get to, you get to Nashville, young family, trying to figure yes. things out. And, and you talked in your TED Talk about almost having to convince yourself, almost having to lie to yourself that, that you were a programmer to get you into the right mindset. So talk about that. How did you have to convince yourself and why did you have to do that? Yeah, so, um, so, so one thing I, I didn't just share is that I went down to University of Virginia. I, I lasted two years. Um, I got way more into uh, making music than I did in, in, to going to class. And so by the time I started a family, um, I hadn't completed my college degree. And um, I had one kid, one on the way, and was waiting tables to you know, make, make ends meet and sort of realized, wow, I'm not really in a good position to really be a responsible father of two children. Um, and so uh, you know, I started just kind of thinking uh, creatively about how I could take care of them and uh, came to the conclusion that based on uh, my experiences as a, as a young kid and exposure to computers uh, and just the timing of the internet and everything that was happening, this was, the, you know, this was 2000, so you had Y2K mania happening, yeah. but also the internet was really starting to, to um, uh, reach a fever pitch. The, the dot-com bust hadn't quite happened yet. Uh, I just got the idea that I, w I was going to uh, be a programmer. Um, and so, you know, at that time, you didn't really have 
things that you have today like Code Academy or you know lots of these different boot camps that exist today teaching people software. Uh, basically, you'd have to go to the bookstore, grab books, practice, and then hope someone gave you a shot. And so, um, you know, it was a it was a pretty tough haul. Uh, you know, just in terms of like, I'm waiting tables every day, all the people who I'm waiting tables with, you know, they weren't necessarily um, very, uh, how would I say it? Uh, they, they, they were, they were for the most part, pretty comfortable with what they were doing. Um, and so, you know, as I said, hey, I want to go be a programmer, you know, they were like, they were encouraging, but it wasn't like they had ambitions that sort of met mine. But you know, a lot of them didn't have one kid one on the way either. You know what I mean? Right. And so I was a little bit unique in my in my situation there. And so I had, you know, I didn't have a strong network in town. I had just moved here. I didn't know a lot of programmers. And so I had to come up with sort of a mental strategy to be able to overcome, you know, waves of self doubt that I could, uh, that I could achieve this, right, that I could go from where I was in this town, new, living in a week-to-week -week hotel, waiting tables, to, to being, you know, employed as a software developer, making, you know, a, a good salary and benefits for my family. Yeah. So let's go into that hustle a little bit because a lot of times people will hear these origin stories where they people go on to have great success, and you hear the the snippets, but you don't hear the stories of you having to wait tables full time while you're trying to learn this new skill. Um, but you're like you had alluded to like one kid on the way and another one there already young family, you've got to provide. So talk to that hustle a little bit of why, how you were put in that spot and how you dealt with it on a day to day basis. Yeah. So, you know, my, honestly, it, it, a lot of it was just based on simplicity. I mean, my life was, was very, very simple. Um, mm -hmm. I waited tables six to seven days a week. Um, you know, as often as I could, I did double shifts. Um, and then I went home. That was it. Um, I didn't know a whole lot of people. I didn't have a whole lot of friends. And so there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, uh, hanging out that I did. Um, and I knew, you know, like, look, on a good week, I'd bring home some nice cash and maybe we could go have fun as a family, go to the movies or whatever. But there were certainly some weeks where the restaurant was slow and, and um, you know, I didn't make a lot of money. And, and yeah. anyone who, who has uh, lived life as a server sort of knows the ebbs and flows that, that go with, uh, with that life. And so, you know, I was always very aware that we were one or two bad weeks away from not being able to pay rent. You know what I mean? I mean, things were, things were always very serious. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, focusing and making sure that on a regular basis I was practicing and, and, and putting in the work um, to, to develop this skill and then, and then finding opportunities to be able to practice that skill was a, just a, a huge priority, a huge, yeah. huge priority. Yeah, backs against the wall, you're gonna, you're gonna make opportunities happen. That's right, Yeah, that's right. So we're gonna fast forward a little bit here. Let's get into 2007. What convinced you to start your own business in, in 2007? Yeah, so in between 2000 and 2007, a lot happened. Um, you know, the first thing that happened was 2001, the day after my uh, second son was born, uh, I got a job offer uh, to be a, a software engineer at a company called HealthStream um, here in Nashville. And uh, uh, that that was a, a dramatic socioeconomic change in my life, you know, going from that sort of day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, cash in hand existence to, you know, a, a proper salary, proper benefits, and being part of the professional, you know, um, class, uh, you know, if you will. Uh, that was a, That was a massive, massive shift. And I think, you know, in that process, 
um, I had to do a lot. I had to, you know, be able to prove that I could actually deliver as a software developer, but I also had to like work within office dynamics and office politics, you know, and these were things that I wasn't really all that um, skilled at. I didn't have yeah. a lot of experience. I didn't have, you know, a ton of mentorship. Um, you know, I didn't finish college. And I think some of that, that finishing and that polishing you, you can get, especially probably in your senior year of college. I just, I just didn't get that. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, on one hand, I made mistakes, you know, just in terms of how I handle certain situations, uh, in the workplace, but I also, you know, got a, got a pretty good sense of myself in terms of where I was going to really be successful in the professional world over time between 2000, 2007, as my career as a software engineer progressed. And a couple of things just came, became clear for me. One, um, I worked way better in smaller environments, right? So environments where I was closer to the source of power, the closer I was to the founder and the leader of the company, the better. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I had a feeling, I was so grateful for what moving into programming had done for me from a socioeconomic perspective that I did in my own way, you know, always think about the company as my, as my own. And sometimes, you know, that would be good in terms of how hard I would work for it. And then sometimes it would be, you know, not so great in terms of me overstepping, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. my, my authority. And so, you know, I was sort of always in those types of situations from 2003 to 2007. I, I, uh, I've, I've sort of, uh, worked the best job I ever had, which was at a, a email marketing company called Emma. That was, um, that was, uh, early, it was very early on. I came on, they had only been around about a year. Um, and I got to build uh, a version of the software that, that really scaled the company for probably a seven year window. Um, and, uh, you know, be, be uh, a head of technology, become an equity holding partner. And I really got a deep education in, in the startup world through that four year, um, you know, trial. And, uh, and, and when I came out in 2007, on the other side of that, I just knew that I wanted to, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, and that, that was like the best experience I'd had. And even still, as that started to grow and office politics, which you can't, you know, bureaucracy is, is necessary as you get more and more people. It's not yeah. a bad thing. It's a, it's a reality, right? Yeah. Um, you know, as that started to develop, I just got more and more uncomfortable, you know what I mean? And, and I just felt that I needed to, to be in more control. And so, uh, in 2007 on, on really the best of terms, I, I left the company to, to start my, my real entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. But that exposure before you actually even had to take the leap, right? You're working for this company where you eventually became an equity holder and, and it's a small business environment that had to have laid a fantastic foundation for you to then be able to go your, do your own thing. It, it, it really did. It really did. And, 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 you know, one thing I'll say about that is um, it, it was great to be as close as I was to the center. Um, but I very quickly learned that uh, it is not a replacement for being at the center. Right. You know what I mean? And, and, and for being in that seat where like literally you are responsible for payroll, you are responsible for um, all the liabilities in the company and things of that nature. And so, you know, I pretty quickly learned that. I, I, I think it was as close of an education as I could have gotten uh, okay. it, until I started doing it myself. But yeah, it was really, really good. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. And, and you, you mentioned HealthStream, right? So you, yeah. when you think of Nashville, Tennessee, people think music, but yes, it's a massive healthcare industry in, in uh, Nashville as well. So you, some of your primary stuff that you're doing now is obviously in the healthcare industry, right? You're an investor, right. you're trying to innovate a lot of things. Um, what 
has drawn you to that? Uh, because it wasn't your exact background, right? You didn't go to school for it or anything like that. No, no. Uh, so, so really, I would say it was the intersection of two things. You know, one, um, as I as I got more and more experience, you know, I started with te- being a technologist, and then I moved into being an entrepreneur. And uh, you know, I was doing uh, technology companies, and inevitably, you start thinking about venture capital. Uh, and so, I started interacting with venture capitalists. Um, and you know, over the course of let's just call it four or five years, I really just decided I wanted to be on the other side of the table. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it was a combination of a couple things. I mean, one, um, I saw room to be entrepreneurial as an investor, right? So I, I didn't see it as like trading teams necessarily. I saw venture capital as a space that really hadn't been well innovated, you know, in, in a 20 or 30 year window. Um, and, uh, when I started to get into it, it was just starting to be uh, uh, innovated in, you know, Y Combinator and Techstars and the big accelerators uh, of today were just starting to come of age in 2005, six, seven, and eight. Yep. Um, and so when when uh, when my partner Vic and I started Jumpstart Foundry in 2009, um, you know, it, it was it was an entrepreneurial venture. Uh, it was just what we were doing, what happened to be uh, the business of investing in companies. Yeah. Um, we we did that for four years, nights and weekends, while we still did our own thing. I, I was a CTO at a at a technology company, and he okay. was a venture capitalist in a in a sort of traditional firm. Okay. And we were doing Jumpstart Foundry for four years, and through that nights and weekend process. Um, we learned more about early stage investing and we also learned a lot more about about this city um and it just became clear to us that if we were going to continue to do this business um a couple things one we'd have to do it full time we couldn't do it nights and weekends uh and the second thing was we really needed to focus on healthcare because uh what what uh what i didn't know uh when i arrived in town and really for the first 10 years of living here uh was that the greatest kept secret was that the largest uh uh, business sector by a mile uh, is healthcare. 50 years ago, for-profit hospitals uh, were invented here in Nashville. And uh, if you know anything about the healthcare system, you know uh, about, about 30, 35% of all of the spend that goes to health systems. Um, and so uh, it's a it's a pretty big industry, pretty big. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Um, <clears throat> but you see another theme come up, right? So as you were uh, waiting tables way back then you were learning programming here Mm -hmm. you guys are both in a spot and you're like all right this is what we want to do we want to create this business we want to invest in companies but you're still holding on to the the past uh job situation whatever you guys are in yeah to to, i don't know if it's to give you a foundation or, or stability why why is that let's dig in there first before we move on uh why yeah, i mean I, I, yeah yeah i mean i, I think the re, i think the truth of it is that um we we knew there was something there but we didn't know what was there yet and okay. so um the risk was just too high to 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 stop doing what we were doing um and so it, it was a side hustle um you know we 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 risked minimal capital so in the four years um, that we that we were running uh, Jumpstart Foundry as a accelerator nights and weekends. I think we invested less than a half million dollars in total across more than forty companies. Okay. So not a lot of capital right. in, in the venture capital world being put to work there. Um, but tremendous learnings uh, that that happened during that time 
Uh, and, you know, some of them were about the industry. Some of them were about how Vic and I would work together as partners. You know, it was, uh, it, it was I think what I, what I learned through that process was um, how to really solidify a partnership that can last for the long term. Um, you know, Vic and I met in, let's just call it 2008. Um, but we really got to know each other uh, in those, those four, four and a half years that we were doing Jumpstart Foundry as a, as a, um, as a side hustle nights and weekends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, is that strategy what you typically recommend for, for these people? Because we have a lot of business leaders, right? So say they're, they're with a company, but they've got this dream of, of starting their own thing. Is that keep your current day job and create a side hustle for yourself? Is that the almost blueprint that you like to see some people do? Yeah, I, I try very hard to stay away from blueprints, but I, but I, right. but I will say, I will say that um, side hustle, I think is, is a great, um, it, it really is a great strategy and a great approach. Um, you know, one of the things I really like about it is it'll start to get you used to the kinds of hours that you're going to have to put in uh, to be successful as an entrepreneur, right? Because, you know, you got your day gig and then you're going to throw another 20 hours a week in, you know, sort of minimum on your side hustle. <laughs> And uh, that's just sort of what it's like to run a business. I think you know, sort of minimum 60 hours a week, right? And so, um, you know, that's one thing that I like about it. Um, another thing I like about it is you get a chance to see whether or not you're really going to like the business uh, before you fully, you know, uh, make the leap. So I always think that's great. Um, and, and look, uh, you know, the better position that you're in, you know, there's, there's, there's a little bit of uh, two sides to this coin, but... Um, you know, when, when you have a reasonable amount of management on the risk, you know, I think you're in a healthier position to make decisions. You know, when, when you're just too risky, um, you, you tend to make decisions that are very, very short term and have bad long-term implications. Um, I've done that in business. I don't recommend that for anybody. They're usually around cash flow. You know what I mean? And what's best for the business versus what you need to do to make, to pay a bill right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, more often than not, you don't want to be in that situation, right? You know, you want to have optionality and leverage with respect to paying bills so that you can do things for the best, uh, best uh, strategic reasons for the business in the midterm and long term. Yeah, yeah, no, perfect. So uh, let's pivot a little bit. You've mentioned innovation two or three times already in the conversation. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's been a top theme really throughout your, your entire professional career how you yeah. developed that mentality to change the norm, right? Because those are bigger goals. It's not just, I'm going to go start another business that's the same as everybody down the road. That's a mentality that you've got to be able to develop. How did that come about in your life? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, 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 think, I think it has a lot to do with, uh, with, with entering uh, the professional world as a technologist. Um, and and even, even, you know, you know I, I would say my first... Uh, you know, innovation was myself, you know, uh, with that, that process of transforming myself from, uh, from a, from a server to a programmer was, was the process of innovation. And I think I sort of, uh, uh, got very, uh, excited by, uh, you know, the experience of, um, creating value from, from, from nothing, you know what I mean? Okay. Like, uh, the, the ability to sort of have an idea and you know it's it's nothing right now but you can make it valuable um that's that's something that that uh has interest has interested me greatly uh you know really since i since i started with myself and uh it's it's been it's been something that's given me 
you know, a great deal of confidence to continue my, my life as an entrepreneur. You know, I always feel like I can look out in the world and see an opportunity and create something from nothing. You know what I mean? I, I've, I've worked, uh, uh, I've worked through the different protocols, the different processes, the different methodologies, uh, you know, whether it's software or, you know, business execution, lean startup, customer development, all these kinds of things enough that it's sort of embedded in me to know how to do that. And that's a skill set. You know what I mean? That, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, just, just like being a great finance operator or, or, or being a great dancer or any of those kinds of things, yeah. you know, it's a skill set I've developed over the last two decades. Um, and so it is, it is uh, very core to the way that I operate in the world and the way that I see the world. Yeah, no. And that's, that's a great way to think of it too. It's not something you're not going to turn a switch on. Right, you've developed no. this ability over 20 years of, of working at it, honing it, getting the foundational experience for it, things like that. But that's um, right. You see, you see books like Blue Fishing and uh, things like that, and then Blue Ocean, Red Ocean, and then Zero to One by Peter Thiel, and and they almost make it sound like, hey, tomorrow when you wake up, this is what you should be doing. You should be innovating. So I wanted to make sure we hit on that because it's a skill and it's, it's something that you develop over time. It is, it is. Uh, you know, I, I love those books because they challenge the way that people think. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, one thing that I have, I have learned, there's an aspect of our business right now, there's strategic advisory and we work with, um, with uh, corporate leaders of, of significant uh, companies, you know, companies of significant size and scale. Um, and, you know, they have a massive skill that I don't have, right? I don't have the skill of managing an organization that generates a billion dollars in revenue. I've never done it. I don't understand the details around it. I don't, you know, and so, you know, they're not bringing me on for that. They're bringing me on because I've got the skill of innovation, right? And, and I, and I can help them, uh, a with blind spots, but B just with the metal that I've developed around this, this skill over the last couple decades. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm big into skill development and, and skill recognition, right? You know what I mean? And, and, uh, you know, just, being able to assess what are the skills that you have that are going to create value over your career. You know, um, I, I consider being entrepreneur, uh, being an entrepreneur to be a, to be a career, you know, it's, 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 um, it's a career. It's, it's what I do. It's, you know, it is my job. I, 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 I launch businesses, you know what I mean? I, I, uh, you know, and, and I, and I try to have a better, um, you know, hit than, than loss rate of making them successful. Um, and you know, I, the, the one thing I will say is I, is I do think, uh, the state of the world right now, because the the world is moving at the speed of technology and, and, um, you know, things like legislature can't quite keep up with it. Um, I do think that, that, uh, having developed the skill to be able to innovate is becoming more and more important and, and becoming more and more viable for being able to recognize how the world is evolving. Um, because we're having economic shifts that, that really uh, are unprecedented, right? I mean, like in terms of the amount of time that they're happening in uh, and, they're, and, they're, and they're affecting people, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, you know what I mean? If you, you, you could work for a company that is on the path of being massively disrupted, right? And, and uh, I mean, you know, the disruption can be devastating. I mean, not just to the individuals that work there, but the towns that, that, they, that they support. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty serious stuff actually. And so, um, I, I do believe that innovation is something that people need to generate at least a base level of awareness of, you know, much less the skill to be able to do it. 
Yeah. It, how are some of those ways that they can do that? Because a lot of people listening, they probably agree with you, right? It's it, You're making yeah. a good point on it, but where do they go from there? Yeah. You know, one of the things I would say is, is uh, develop better historical context, right? Um, one, one of the things that, that's been, uh, I think, very challenging, uh, uh, I'll say again, is the speed with which things have changed, right? You know, we're used to having enough, uh, enough time when, when the change happens to be able to build a good narrative around it. You know, it's hard to build a narrative for what Amazon has done. Yep. You know what I mean? I do. Um, the speed with which they've taken over the number of industries they t they've taken over yeah. is really difficult to, to put into a narrative. It's unprecedented, right? It's it, it, never it, experiences. And you go and you look at how, how long it took for radio to get popular and TV to get popular and the internet. And it's just, it, it's exponentially shorter with every new innovation that comes out. And it's just going to continue. Like you said, it's moving at the rate of technology which is yes. just getting faster and faster. Exactly, and so, I, so my, my thing is, if people, I, I actually think history is, is one of the best ways to do this. So, you know, if you really look at the compression of the rate of change, and then start looking again into the future, right? Yep. And, 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 then, and then be honest with yourself. Think about yourself 10 years ago, and, and things that you thought would only happen in a sci-fi movie, that are regularly happening today, right? And then just look five years out and try to imagine the kinds of things that can happen. And I, and I just think, you know, if people can walk through even that kind of exercise, you know, and then think about what are the implications of that? Don't just think about what, what life will be like as a consumer, but think about how is that gonna change the business landscape? How will that affect me, you know, in my role and in my company, you know? Um, what jobs that didn't exist 10 years ago are going to exist and what jobs that have existed for hundred years are about to be eliminated. Yeah. You know, just starting to like regularly ask these questions, um, I think is a good way to just get yourself in the frame of mind of thinking about, um, what innovation is really about. Right. Yeah. It, it, innovation's not just a skill set; It's a mindset. And, and so as you train your mind to do that, then you're going to be more apt to be able to develop that skill. So, so that's, that's right. That's well said. Um, one of the skills that you've been working on for the last few years is writing, right? You've got a, you're putting the final touches on, on your, your book, create and orchestrate. Um, yes. So I want to get into exactly what the book's message is, but first uh, create and orchestrate. What do you mean by orchestrate? Let's go into that first. Yeah, so uh, so so the, the the book was really inspired by a TEDx uh, talk that I did in 2014, um, where it was the first time that I tried to uh, codify and reverse engineer what I had learned, okay. uh, you know, in in my uh, my journey from a server to a technologist to an entrepreneur, um, and then and then I was I was like really beginning my life as an investor in 2014, I would say. Okay. Um, and I, I, I tried to sit back, reflect on it, um, and how I was able to do what I was able to accomplish and, um, basically came up with three key, key things, uh, that, that, I, that I had done consistently. So the first one was believe, you know, you brought up the whole lie, lie to yourself right. thing. Um, you know, just, 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 just starting with that, with that deep belief, um, to overcome the, the self doubt, the second piece being partnering up. And that's, that, that was really around, you know, the recognition that, uh, 
I have skills, I have talents, I have abilities, I have vision, but I also have blind spots, I have deficiencies, I have weaknesses. Um, and uh, it's really, really important to, uh, that in order to compensate for those that I partner up and partner well. Um, and so when I had done that, I had been successful. And when I didn't do that, I suffered as a result of all of those shortcomings that I mentioned, right? But the third piece was, was really about how to make anything of scale happen, anything great happen, and that's that orchestrate piece that you're talking about. Um, and and uh, you know the simplest way to sort of uh, you know frame it up is to think about an orchestra, right? To think about the conductor of of, of an orchestra, uh, and something that I think as a child, uh, you know, is is really confusing. It just looks like you know a person in front waving a stick around, right? You know what I mean? And it's like they're not really doing the stuff. All the people sitting sitting around playing the instruments are doing everything, right? Uh, until you until you grow up and you understand all that it took to bring all those people together, right? And and how do you communicate to them all when they're all in the act of actually playing, right? Uh, and how do you command respect and authority, but also um, you know, uh, grant them authority to be able to, right. you know, interact with each other and to engage each other. And so that act of orchestration is, um, is, is, is really an amazing thing. And I think anything you're trying to do of scale as an entrepreneur is going to require you to, to manage um, multiple stakeholders uh, yeah. with differing interests and different personalities um, and get them to all come together in concert. And so that, that ability to, to orchestrate really becomes critical to, to bring any vision to life. You know, once it's past you and you and your partner, how do you then work with 10 people? How do you then work with uh, partners outside of the company? How do you then, you know, collaborate with your customers to make them your best sales force? All those things are, are in that bucket of orchestration. Yeah. A lot of entrepreneurs and business leaders in general, when they're starting something out, they're the flute player and the trumpet player, right? And the drummer, they're playing all of those spots. How do you help business leaders let go of doing all of the individual instruments and start being uh, the conductor and start orchestrating the whole thing. Yeah, um, boy, is that a hard thing to do? And and, I, and I'll and I'll just start with myself and and just sort of say, you know, um, uh, I I what I started with was uh, was getting rid of the things that I didn't like to do. Okay. Um, but it took me a while to actually, you know, be be uh, honest enough in my self assessment. To, to really focus on the things uh, that I was uniquely strong in. Because, you know, I, I think the ego is what ends up getting in the way, right? You know what I mean? Uh, you know, you, can, you might be a control freak. Um, and, and, you know, you're, instead of looking at the positive and, look, and being strength-oriented, you know, you, you sort of want to be able to have a hand in everything and do everything. And somehow, you know, you, you feel like, uh, you know, it somehow is a statement on your inability to do something if you're not the one doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and over time, uh, you know, and, and I think this is, this is through hard experiences, right? Um, you know, over time you realize the most important thing you can do is focus your time and energy on the things that only you can do for the business. Right. Um, and when you realize that's, that's your greatest and highest good and your ultimate responsibility to the business, yeah. um, then, then you're constantly going to try to be replacing yourself 
from those things that don't make that list. That's so in it. the beginning, you got to do you got to do a bunch of stuff, right? You got to do stuff you don't like to do. You got to do stuff you might like to do, but isn't your best and highest good. And you need to do the best and highest good. But but as the company grows, it is ultimately your responsibility to constantly carve out the stuff that isn't uniquely in your court, right? And 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 constantly find people. And in that process, try to find people that are much better than you at those things, right? You know what I mean? Try to upgrade yourself in, in, in those areas. Um, but but I, I think it boils down to being strength oriented and to and to being focused on on your unique, unique purpose in the organization. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's great. And that that's something that people miss a lot. And you talked about it with the whole partnering up. Um, surrounding yourself with people that are better at you or better than you at things that you shouldn't be doing in the business. It's a, a great way to go about becoming the conductor and, and orchestrating everything. So absolutely. So let's go uh, a little bit into create and orchestrate uh, the book yeah. that, that you're in the final stages of um, what's the message you're trying to get out in that book? Yeah. So, um, so it, it took me three and a half years um, to, to get through that book. Uh, and, um, I'm, I'm glad it took me as long as it did because the purpose that I thought I had when I started is not the purpose that it ended with. Okay. Um, uh, you know, the, where, where I've landed is, uh, and, and I think it goes back to this whole conversation we're having about what's happening right now. Quite frankly, it's, it's, it's about the conversation that we're having over zoom, and, and the fact that this is for your podcast, um, it, it's really trying to tune people up around their creative power um, and, and try to, you know, if they're not already awake to it, wake them up to it a little bit. Because um, I, th I think that creative power uh, that is in every last one of us is the seed from which you become innovative or you behave in an entrepreneurial way, right? Okay. Yeah. Even if you're not a full-time innovator or you're not an entrepreneur in everything that you do, uh, we are entering, entering a world where the the pace of change is just too rapid. And even if you work for somebody else, you're going to have to have an entrepreneurial edge, uh, you know, and you're going to have to be innovative. And so um, it's really waking people up uh, to their creative power um, and, and, and helping them to build up muscle around that and, and helping them to overcome, you know, fears uh, or, 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 you know, untrue narratives, you know, that, that somehow they're not a creative person, right? You know, every being creative isn't just about art or music or, you know what I mean? For me, uh, while I love those things, uh, my, my primary canvas is, is business. You know, that's where I am most creative. I've, you know, I've built brands, I've built business models, I've built value, I've built cultures, I've built, you know, that's, that's, that's my, my primary platform for being creative. And so um, that's, that's the main message of the book. You know, I, I think it's, I think it's anchored in the time that we live and it's trying to, um, you know, remind people of, of, uh, of their true creative nature. Yeah. Perfect. No, I like that. So as soon as you finish those final touches and it comes out, I'll make sure that everybody following gets, uh, gets a chance to go get that because it's going to be super valuable. So thank you. I appreciate that. So let's go uh, last kind of stage here before we get a little bit more philosophical. Um, you're in the midst of running, right? Partner and co-founder of five different ventures right now. One of them okay. being a professional sports team. So how do you blend those in your life and not, not get overwhelmed and 
almost miss out on the things that you should be focusing on? Yeah. So, so I, I, I would say, um, you know, I, I have one of the things I've really, really learned about is, uh, the hierarchy of business, right? And, and, uh, you know, the, the, the whole, the old adage that, you know, businesses exist to create value for their shareholders. Right. And so, um, you know, ultimately when I create a business, um, you know, my, my highest role, uh, is, you know, my, my highest role is always going to be, uh, a shareholder. Right. Um, And, and I can, I, you know, I often will need to replace myself in every other role, right? So, you know, once you go below shareholder, then you have the board and that sort of governance of the organization and management of the CEO. And then you have CEO and then you have management team, and then you have everybody under those people, right? You know, it's sort of the traditional structure. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and it, when you're talking about the, the, you know, the soccer club, I'm primarily a shareholder, right? Now, yeah. you know, I'm an engaged shareholder. It is a startup. There are things that um, I, there is value that I bring to the organization, especially when it comes to um, engagement with the with the community. Um, you know that I that I actively do. Um, but you know, it was just three short years ago when when there was no team at all, and now there's an entire front office. You know, the the former CEO of Liverpool, one of the biggest brands in in uh you know, uh, proper football in the world, soccer, uh, you know, is now the CEO. Look, he, he has forgotten seven times over more about the sport and the business of the sport than I'll ever know. Right. And so, you know, all I can do by meddling is, is screw things up. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm there to help, uh, where I can contextually. Um, but my, my biggest role there is as a shareholder, quite frankly. Right. Um, you know, when it when it comes to uh, the venture uh, business, you know, Jumpstart, um, I'm a founding partner uh, in that business. Uh, I help source deals. Uh, I you know I help raise raise money, but I'm I'm not primarily responsible for either of those things. Yeah. Um, and I sit on the investment decision committee, right? Right now, now you know when we first started this thing, I did a heck of a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, but we have since, you know, brought other people on the team and we've, we've, we've hired a managing director for, for our seed fund and for our series A fund. And they have, you know, people on their teams that they manage and, you know, and they control the relationships with all of our limited partners. And so, um, you know, they weren't around in 2014 and they definitely weren't around in 2009 when Vic and I started it. But over time, you know, we, we, we replaced ourselves in, the, in those roles. So that's that, that that that's really how you know um moving up the structure from from day-to-day operations to just being management to being the ceo to being the board member to just being a shareholder right you know is kind of how how I, and and building out a portfolio of value i don't i'm not a big investor in this in the stock market by the way so this is this is sort of my my future net worth generation you know approach right when you look at my linkedin you see five things you go oh this guy's super busy it's more like you're looking at my mutual fund Right. Makes sense. Yeah. That's a, that's a great analogy. What a good way to put it. Um, but you've, you've worked your way up to that. Like you said, work your way up the, um, the dynamics of the business. So you're not serving on every board. You're not the CEO of every company. Right. That, that would be impossible. Right. As far as spreading yourself too thin. So that's, that's right. But I am, but I am a co-founder in all those things. And that's the cool thing about being a founder is no one can ever take that title away from you. You're a founder. That's it. You're a founder forever. So (laughs) yeah, no, that's good. Um, So we've talked a lot about kind of what you're building up to. 
what is your grand vision? So not necessarily with any one business, but what are you setting out to go achieve? Yeah, so, so, so I, think, I think right now um, I, I'm very happy with the portfolio of, of ventures that I currently have. Um, and I think I'm really trying to maximize the value in those. Um, you know, I'm 43 years old now. Um, not that I don't like to start things. I always sort of get the itch. But I also, you know, can recognize that, uh, you know, we've, we've got $35 million under management in our, in our venture business. We've got, you know, some great clients uh, in our strategic advisory business. Uh, you know, the soccer team is going to be playing in Major League Soccer next year. It's like, you know, things are working, right? And so I, I, I would say, you know, developing and growing these things. And then also really, you know, I, I've started to greatly think about, um, you know, what I need to be doing over the next 20 years of my life. You know, it feels like uh, it, my, my, uh, my, my children are about to turn 20 and 18 uh, mm -hmm. next month. And, um, you know, it really does feel like the end of an era is approaching for me. Uh, you know, sort of, sort of the end of that sort of that, that, that window of struggling and fighting to like being where I am now to having this portfolio. And now, you know, it's stuff like this. It's like thinking about how do I go out, tell my story, build a platform um, that, that, that grows all of my ventures, right? You know what yeah. I mean? Where, where I'm, I'm additive, but I'm not in the way of them. Yeah. That, that feels like, that feels like what, what my next 20 years is going to be about. So I think it's leveraging my experience, building my network, creating more deals, um, you know, but not necessarily working in those deals. You know what I'm saying? I feel like I have nothing to prove. I've already, you know, I've already built teams. I've, I've made money. I've lost money. Um, now, now it's, it's time to do something different and to do it in a different way. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Then that's a great segue into the more kind of philosophical type questions that I want to get into for you. So, um, what, let's start uh, on the business side when you see other business leaders out there, what's one thing that uh, a big recent lesson that you've learned, whether it's through a mistake or just an experience in your business that you can share that's going to be applicable to uh, small business leaders, right? The, the solopreneurs, the people that are trying to get stuff off the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, th I think, uh, I, th I, th I think sales is, is, uh, is a, is a big, a big thing. Okay. Um, and, uh, I have, I have seen businesses, uh, that get sales, right. Um, really be able to, uh, make up for other errors in the company. Um, but the ones that don't get sales, right. That's it. They're dead. Okay. It, yep. You know what I mean? Um, yep. and so if you are not a die in the wool sales person, uh, starting your small business, you, you better find someone. Yeah. who is uh because you know it's not just how much revenue you generate it's also making sure your revenue is diverse right you know if you've got one or two clients that are making up the lion's share of your revenue you're not you're not in good shape yeah. you're not in good shape uh and so you know it takes it takes a good amount of work on on the sales front to get to a place where your business is even reasonably um safe Okay. Uh, and, and that's, you know, and, and, and just, and having a, you know, it's, it's good to close that first deal and celebrate that revenue and then deliver for that, that customer. But I think the, the most uncomfortable time in a business is when you have done that and you're worried about delivering for that customer, yeah. 
but you really need to go get more business because if you don't, that customer is going to own you, right? You know, customers yeah. can acquire your business by being your primary source of revenue. So um, that's, that's, that, that was a big one for me and, and, and one that I do see a lot of, uh, you know, business owners struggle with. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, let's go now in, into you because business leaders are always, uh, you have different pain points, right? Different things that are going on. What are one or two of your top pain points right now in your career? Yeah, so so I think I think um, a big that, that that's a really good question. Uh, so you're gonna you know force me to sort of sort of think here. Um, you know, I th I think I think one of the the, the big pain points is that uh, I think. The, I think the future of work is changing. So, you know, the kind of work that I do, there are different types of businesses, right? And so I never try to, I never try to say this is the way all businesses are going to work. You know, uh, you know, the, the industry that I'm in requires a lot, requires a lot of knowledge workers, um, a lot of people who are industry experts, you know, um, generally speaking, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be, you know, very educated. And I think the future of work for knowledge workers is really changing. Um, you know, what their expectations are, the right way to structure their compensation. There, there aren't fantastic models out there for that, quite frankly. Okay. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're sort of innovating uh, there, I think, out of necessity. I, I, th I think, you know, not, not, not because, like, we see an opportunity. I just don't think anyone has, has totally figured it out. I think there's, there's massive generational shifts going on in, in, the, in the market right now. You know, millennials now clearly the, the number one, um, you know, generation in the labor force right now um, and their value system. Generally speaking, I don't like to overgeneralize around, uh, around there's generations to everything. Yeah, but 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 they 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 do value things differently, and 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 structuring uh, the way that the business operates and how they're rewarded and and how you grow it, all those things are 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 challenging are, are challenging, and, and and their expectations of uh, sort of where they should be, um, and so 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 I think I think the the changes to the future of work for me um, are 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 a challenge. How I'm how I'm thinking about it is I'm I'm really just sort of I envision that the world is going to be very, very distributed, right? I mean, what, what I'm what I'm seeing is that uh, the the knowledge workers and and sort of the you know those those people who really live to work uh, in an internet enabled, internet empowered business, um, that they are coming. There's a lot of friction between them and the existing structures. And, you know, those structures might be existing ways of, of managing companies. They could also be, you know, um, regulations that are coming down from, right. a, from a nation state perspective, right? And so I'm, I'm just, I see a future of work that's going to be very, very distributed. It's going to have to work across time zones. It's going to have to work across currencies. It's going to, you know, it's, it's going to have to work with entrepreneurs and employees alike and sort of thinking about how to create flexible businesses that can still align people on sets of values, still enable people to get work done, uh, but deal with all of those different, you know, uh, challenges. That's, that's probably the biggest thing I'm, I'm spending time thinking about. Yeah. It's really interesting. So I like it. Um, all right. Next one. If, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Uh, if you're thinking both on a balance of personal and professional, how do you define success in your life? Uh, yeah, so, so, uh, you know, right now for me, uh, I, I think, I think happiness, you know, with myself 
is at the at the top of the list, right? Yeah. And um, my health and my well being is super super critical. So one thing I I, I think you know as I've entered my forties uh, that I that I realized is that I am my number one asset, right? And so. Um, I need to be healthy and happy in order to perform period yeah. end of story. Like, and that's, that's, that is foundational to anything outside of me, any business thing, any monetary thing, anything like that. And so uh, carving out uh, that time and prioritizing uh, an agenda of health and wellness, um, you know, is, is real high, real high for me uh, in terms of my, my sense of, of fulfillment and being successful um, because I, because I'm, I, I have a high degree of, of confidence that if I'm healthy and well, I'm going to, to outperform most people in the market. That's just, that's just how I feel about myself. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I really think I'm my biggest, uh, you know, enemy. Right. So like, you know, if I don't take care of myself, I'm going to be the one to knock me out, not my competitor. Right. That's, that's just how I feel. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I have learned to really, um, you know, to really embrace that reality to sort of grapple with, uh, you know, some of my, some of my challenges uh, and, and be just, you know, more forthright about how important it is for me to, you know, to get good sleep, to, you know, to, to not drink, to work out, to eat well, to, you know, those kinds of things have just become really, really important to me. Um, you know, because, because the, the derivative is if I take care of those things, the, you know, I, the, the, the work is kind of easy to be completely honest. Um, you know, uh, and I think that's especially true at this age, you know, like I've, I've developed a, uh, you know, a, a, a base of knowledge, a network, a reputation, uh, that enables me to do things that even 10, 15 years ago, I couldn't even dream of doing, right. you know? And so th th these are the years where I really need to um, be, be well in order to do well. And so that's, that's success for me, full stop. Perfect. Okay. Last one here, and then we'll get into kind of where everybody can find you. Um, you and I are having a conversation three years from now. Yeah. Looking back at that three-year period, what happened in that period where you can look back and say it was a successful time in your life? Yeah, so uh, I, I think I can answer this because I just thought about this yesterday. Oh, that's um, great! Good timing, so, I guess. Yeah, no, good timing indeed. So, 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 so one, let's talk about something that that uh, that I didn't do, right? So we're 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 talking three years from now. One thing I can tell you that I didn't do over the last three years is I didn't get bogged down in a management role, right? Okay. I, I stayed at the shareholder board level, you know, management team, but mostly inspirational okay. evangelist, but not like managing a bunch of direct direct reports. Okay. That's a big one. That's a okay. big one. Okay. Uh, over the last 15 years, I've done a ton of managing of people. Um, I know what it is. I get it. I understand it. Um, my best and highest good is being out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> out there in the world, you know, meeting people, learning, doing deals, inspiring people. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, continuing to create content, to continuing to build my brand. Um, and through my brand, uh, uh, helping to grow all of my businesses. Yeah. Um, that I'm, that I'm associated with. So, so I think that's a big thing. 
Uh, I think my professional speaking career will will easily take care of sort of the you know the day to day, month to month, year to year you know salary needs uh, that I have, which will greatly compress uh, and and alter my time value money equations. Um, you know when when I'm when I'm when I'm on a salary basis making what I need to make in 30 days out of the year, I can use the other 11 months in a way different way uh, than I can, than I can, than I can and do right now. Yep. And so, um, you know, I think that, I, I think that'll be a, a big thing for me. Um, and, uh, and, and I, and I think, uh, you know, I think that some of the assets that I have uh, will have really, really matured. Um, okay. and, uh, and, and, and have, have changed, uh, my, my net worth, you know, reasonably significantly. So that's, that's what I, that's what I'm expecting over the next three years. I, I would say, I'd say one other thing is, um, you know, I, I really have spent the last, uh, you know, 20 years focusing on building network and brand domestically. And let's just say that's 90% in Nashville and then, you know, the remaining 10% in the United States. And I would say, you know, over the next three years, I'm, I'm going to, there's just not much more for me to do in Nashville, to be completely honest. Um, so, you know, probably switching that focus to something like 25% Nashville, 75% um, elsewhere, uh, with hopefully something like, you know, 25% uh, outside of the United States. Um, you know, maybe, maybe more than that, maybe more than that, but definitely building out a global brand um, and starting to, to, to look at how to do business abroad um, in different territories, you know, looking a lot at the UK and Africa right now. So, okay. Yeah. No, interesting. And we'll get you more involved in Charlotte too. So help, help you to yeah, sure. a little bit. I'd, I'd be happy to do that. <laughs> well, perfect. All right. So let's finish up here. I want you to share where people can, can go to, uh, your website, things like that to get more information, get the content you're creating, things like that. Yeah, so um, so I feel really grateful that I was a uh, a web programmer back in 2000 because um, I I learned early on about the value of uh, name real estate <laughs> back then. Yeah. So basically, if you go to Google and you put in Marcus Whitney, um, you will find me, and you'll find me on whatever channel makes you happiest. So my website is marcuswhitney.com. If you go on Twitter, it's Marcus Whitney. If you go on Instagram, it's Marcus Whitney. Facebook, I think you get the point. Yeah. Um, so, you you know, whatever channel is sort of your channel, I probably have a presence there, and it's probably Marcus Whitney. Um, and I'm pretty uh, omni-channel, as, as, uh, as uh, they say, in terms of you can connect with me via any of those channels. I'm, I'm happy to talk to you, direct message on any of them. Or email is Marcus at MarcusWhitney.com. Okay. All right. Perfect. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Ben.